Welcome to the New World Order Podcast. Let me uh, start by saying I apologize for no episode uh, last week. Uh, it was planned, it was scripted, it was written. I actually um, will push the uh, content of that episode back to a uh, another episode. Um, just kind of one of those things that happened. I think that's the first time I've ever actually missed doing this since I... Uh, started uh we'd went out uh for some fireworks and and i talk all the time about how i like my whiskey i like my moonshine i'm not a real big beer drinker i'm just not um and this story will kind of explain why uh so we're out on the boat and uh it's stupid hot the way it's been the last couple weeks it's been like tennessee weather it's been like a hundred degree heat index um we're actually supposed to get wicked storm tonight but it seems like all they ever do is uh pass us by and there's like some force field over this area where we get the lightning, we hear the thumber, thunder, the winds pick up, and then shit never happens. Same thing in the winter. They'll predict like a snowmageddon and we'll get nothing. It literally goes north and south of us and we're in like this little window of everything being all right. So uh, we're in a hurry to get out and uh, meet my in-laws for uh, the fireworks show on the late lake. So I just grabbed, I had, I don't know, a shit ton of Coors Light in the fridge uh, that my mother-in-law had given me. So I just threw it all in like a little cooler and I don't know, eight, ten, whatever of them. And, uh, you know, we got out there and it's hot. And Coors Light is pretty much water. Water's fine. Um, I'm not one of those people that needs to drink like a Guinness beer or something that tastes like syrup or it feels like you have to chew it. Uh, sorry, I had to get that out. Um, so I have this tendency to drink fast. Uh, I think it's cause literally I'm always thirsty, whether it's water, juice, um, the different, uh, dr- I don't know, sugar-free, no calorie drinks I drink throughout the day. Like I'm almost always drinking something, uh, alcohol really only on the weekends, honestly, mostly only on Saturdays. So, we're out there, you know, fireworks are waiting for it to get dark, fireworks are, and I'm beer after beer after beer after beer, and I'd brought to share, but, you know, nobody was partaking with me. So, anyways, um, you know, I don't feel, uh, you know, exceptionally uh, intoxicated when we leave. I mean, my wife drove home, um, so... That next, I had already decided, okay, I'll just do the podcast on Sunday, Um, which I hate doing, but whatever. Uh, We've been trending really well, so I was like, "Ah, I don't want to not do the episode and, you know, risk a, I don't know. But anyways, it's still been trending very well. So I wake up about 5.30 in the morning, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, this headache just wakes me up out of my sleep. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to be hungover. And I hate hangovers. I'm an expert at knowing when to say when, drinking water or Gatorade or something to manage the effects of alcohol, usually before I go to bed. You know, if I know I'm going to be up till 2, then I'll stop drinking at like 11 and just, you know, taking some water or whatever, just to kind of, I don't know, do the work to not feel like garbage the next morning because, you know, it's it affects everyone else if there's plans or, you know, the last thing my wife wants is me laying around 
being all hung over the day after, you know, and not being able to do anything just because I couldn't, you know, use any form of self-control. So I go, I go downstairs when my head starts, stops throbbing enough to where I feel like I can walk. And I don't have the spins and I'm not feeling nauseous. It literally just feels like the, like the world's worst migraine. And so I take some uh, Excedrin migraine, which is like my go-to. And I don't know, I drink like four glasses of water, probably way too quick. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to hurl. And I don't, I don't hurl. Like I hurl, like that's mainly the reason I quit drinking beer because it gives me gut rot and makes me hurl. So I go and I hurl. Um, and it, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to keep it down because I'm usually like the world's worst puker. Like I cry and it's like the end of the world. You'd think somebody's murdering me. I'm one of those men that just like can't be sick. I'm a total baby. I'm not even going to stand here and pretend to be tough about that. I fuck I hate sneezing and I hate puking. I don't know why sneezing always makes me mad. But, um, so then I'm like, oh. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I feel a little better. And I know that's not the end of my puke. You know, and I'm still not nauseous or whatever. At this point, I'm thinking, God, did, you know, what did I eat? And I'm like, okay, out on the boat, I ate like caramel popcorn and cheese pop. I mean, probably not the best things to mix, mix with alcohol and all that. So, um, you know, I started using the bathroom and uh, for its intended purposes. And... It's quite the atrocious smell to uh, say lightly. Yeah, we are talking about shit five minutes into the podcast. And I'm like, oh my God, this smells so horrible. It's going to make me hurl. So I flush the toilet, clean myself up really quick, kind of hold it as long as I can because I'm like, it's like putting your face in your own shit. And I'm like, that's just fucked up. Uh, so I hurl a little more. Uh, there's not much in me, so it's mostly dry heaps. So I'm like really getting a core workout here. Or at least that's the way my stumped my ribs and shit felt for about three days after and I just like lay against the wall you know and do that whole thing like oh fuck you know my biggest fear is like oh, I don't want Kai to know I'm down here thinking I'm hungover because I'm not even sure I'm hungover at this point because it's nothing like being hungover before so I don't know it's probably 6.15 at this point uh, I go and I drink some more water you know and kind of sit there at the counter with my like head down decide uh yeah, sorry it's a little late tonight and decide I'm just gonna go lay on the couch I'll just continue the rest and we were supposed to go somewhere Sunday morning uh, oh to take Charlie to the rescue to get his stitches removed and um, you know she was like oh are you good? she texted me because obviously I got up and the dogs follow me and I was like no nah, you know I'm, I'm okay or I'm like, I don't know, I don't feel good, I don't think it's a hangover, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, maybe it is. You know, maybe I'm dehydrated, honestly, because I started to get a chill, too. And I'm like, okay, what if, what, you know, I don't want to say the C word. I'm like, come on, how random out of nowhere. But, uh, so, eventually, I just crash out on the couch. She goes, does her thing with the dog, comes back, I don't know, 9.30, 10 o'clock, wakes me up. I literally feel like a million bucks in that three to four hours I slept on the couch you know I get up I'm like oh okay you know I feed the dogs take them out do whatever pull some weeds it, it's stupid hot outside uh did some instacart you know but I kind of had this like feeling all day not my, my I think my my core was sore from the driving but uh it was the craziest thing because I've never had a hangover that didn't 
you know, and I don't even know what that was. It might have been some dehydration. Like I said, I kept taking in the water. It was really hot and humid the night before. But uh, so, yeah, ultimately, that's the reason there was no podcast last week, because I just took Sunday to kind of rest and just kind of try to feel better. I didn't want to come down and just rush something to put something out. And uh, I guess not that anyone really cares, but I don't know. That was just me. Um, also, um, last week, uh, Charlie, our awesome uh, foster dog, got adopted by super fan of the show, Luke, um, and his family. Uh, Charlie is going to have an amazing life uh, with Luke and his family uh, of being spoiled, getting more attention than he knows. He's got a, a big sister over there, and he is adjusting just just fine. Uh, we miss Charlie, but... Um, couldn't be happier for where he is and knowing that we'll still get to see him and see pictures and videos of him and hear about him every other couple day I see Luke a lot through work so um, you know really happy considering you know how Charlie's life started from being hit and left on the side of the road in Alabama to thinking he was going to lose his legs to being you know cleared and possibly you know no no surgery needed running bouncing playful happy dog he's literally the happiest dog I think we've ever had but um so you know that bit of good news it's always bittersweet when they leave um you know when we started the journey with charlie and it was just pictures and emails we had told ourselves it might be a long journey because of the condition we thought he was going to be in but um charlie would not be denied and you know did he he just he progressed and progressed and progressed and you know now he's gonna have the best time ever and you know get all the love and affection from luke and his family and like i said we couldn't be happier um crazy the other thing speaking of uh foster dogs i had a doordash delivery last night it was actually to the house where uh thin was adopted you know and i just kind of randomly messaged the guy I go hey you don't, wouldn't happen to have a dog named thin because you know people move and um he was like yeah actually i do and i was like you know, and he came out, and I was like, and he was like, oh, how, and I just said, he was our foster dog, you know, this was the uh, son of the people who actually had adopted him, and he went and got, he was like, well, I'll go get him, I was like, no, you know, you don't have to, and he kind of, I don't know if he didn't understand that I knew about all Finn's kind of conditions, and he wasn't always people friendly, and this and that, and I was super excited to see Finn, you know, I just wanted to see him, and, um, yeah, they forget you, let me tell you. If I'd have got uh, much closer, I think Finn would have bit my arm off. But, um, you know, it, it's sad. I mean, they're not so, I guess, you know, he's happy, he's doing well. But it was kind of a bummer. But anyways, just that little, it made me decide that I probably don't want to visit Sully. Because I think if Sully didn't remember me, I think that might crush me. Uh, but I think Charlie will be good because we'll see, we'll get enough interaction with him that it'll be whatever you know it'll stay good but you know even when they forget you that that's the job you know they're not your dogs you foster them you get them ready for their you know happily ever afters and that's just the way it goes but um so you know on the show often we talk about uh relationships and such on here so another big milestone this past week was uh my wife and i actually celebrated our eight-year anniversary and it's crazy to think that like time flies flies like that. The neat thing about our anniversary is like a year before we got married, we actually moved into our house. So it's like the nine year and uh, nine year anniversary of our house, eight year anniversary of being married. Um, you know, 
And marriage has been a wild ride. Um, for me, especially, and, and I don't mean this in any kind of like negative context or anything. Like It was always something that I'd never given a lot of thought to growing up. You know, even in my college years. Um, it wasn't something like on my priority list or one of those goals you make, you know, when you're like, oh, I got a five-year plan for my life. And, you know, there were things I wanted to accomplish, things I wanted to do. You know, I thought about success in a home and, um, you know, all these goals. But, like, and it doesn't really mean I was against it all. I, I honestly had just never given a ton of thought to it or saw it as something that I had needed to make my life complete or whatever, you know. Um, it just, it just, what I don't know. It just, you know, I, and it's crazy because I have lots of friends, uh, you know, friends back home on social media, uh, Michigan and Tennessee, whatever, whatever. And I see them, you know, people that are married that, um, dated in high school, you know, or even longer. And we're talking, I graduated high school in 1993. Uh, and it's incredible. I think, wow, how crazy, you know, and lucky you people are, um, you know, to make something last that long, that you met someone way back then, and, uh, you know, there you are today. And I, my position obviously changed as I got older. Uh, I actually was engaged once previously before I met my wife, but that was kind of more out of a sense of obligation. I, I don't think there was a real want to in my heart and soul on that. I think I was just trying to do the right thing. Um, you know, and I think when I met my wife, things changed for me. You know, and over the years, and she'll joke that I had put off marriage as long as I could. Um, you know, I, I think part of maybe when I when I reflect on you know what I thought and how I saw it was, I, I think I looked at the challenge of marriage as an overwhelming, just an overwhelming task. You know, it's not like the commitment part, or you know. It's just like this whole of marriage, like making a life and the ups and downs, being someone's person, uh, as my wife likes to say. Like, th that's daunting um, for someone like me who honestly never really had a lot of close relationships with people in the past. And, you know, I never really looked at like these, and, and I'm talking about like romantic relationships. Um, I didn't ever really looked at like romantic relationships as something I needed to have in my life that like that that I thirsted for. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot of my life single. Um, you know, I was never that guy that dated someone for a long period of time, and not because I was a. I mean, there were plenty of times I'm sure I was an asshole. Um, you know, but just it just wasn't a priority. Um, you know, and and then as cliche and cheesy as this sounds. Um, you know, and, and when you meet someone who completes you, um, previously, you know, before my wife, Scott was the only person I think who did that for me, but it was in a straight, completely hetero way, of course. Um, he may say it wasn't, but I assure you it was. Um, it it kind of changes everything for you. You know, I couldn't envision my journey being, you know, I, I couldn't envision it with anyone but her. You know, the good times, the bad times, just, you know, the in in and outs of everyday life. It's It's been amazing, and I consider myself very fortunate. You know, and I've done, I think I've done a good job of spending the last handful of years trying to appreciate the blessings in my life and around me, you know. And my marriage is definitely one of the biggest ones. 
You know, my wife is my best friend. She's my biggest fan. I assure you, she's my toughest critic. Um, you know, she's the person who picks me up when I'm down and the person who puts me in timeout when I need it, outside from Facebook. <clears throat> um, you know, and I'm a lucky guy um, in so many ways, but especially in this way. Uh, a good friend of mine had told me, uh, always marry up, and I would like to say I did. Unfortunately, my wife didn't. Um, you know, and I go to bed every night knowing that I'm very fortunate and blessed to have my wife. And, you know, I, I try to do my best not to take it for granted, which she's going to rub this in my face when she listens to it. Um, I'm counting on her being like 10 episodes behind or probably more. But, uh, you know, and I think sometimes that's the that's part of the cool thing in my life um, that literally... I'll be, I'll be 100% honest. Like, literally no aspect of my life has probably turned out how I had imagined it. Um, and I have the best life. Like, I really do. You know, and to think that almost every curve life threw me ended up being, like, the perfect swerve at the perfect time. And it kind of led me here, you know. And I, I guess that's God's work, I suppose. And, you know, me, I'm just here to enjoy the ride. But, um, yeah, so it's kind of, you know, I look at that and I'm like, wow, eight years. You know, technically the average marriage in this country lasts eight years. So once we get to nine, we've beat the average and then we can, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, like I said, obviously I got married later in life, but uh, very blessed, you know, lots of work. Uh, it's it's worth the work. You know, it's worth the the ups and downs, sometimes the aggravation, the, you know, I'd say she probably has a, the worst end of it than me. I, I'm probably kind of annoying and possible. And, uh, you know, it's probably like having an, a second child in the house. You know, it's probably easier to raise the dogs and live with me. But anyways, so uh, I talk all the time about like things we watch on TV. And um, last weekend, uh, you know, it was kind of hot. I was kind of meh. So, uh, spend some time watching TV or, you know, it always starts by trying to find something to watch and I feel like we're caught up on everything and, you know, we haven't, all the shows that have come out, we've watched, um, and we're just looking for something new and sometimes it's hard, you know, some Kai and I sometimes don't like, there's certain things we love and then it seems like there's so many shows or whatever we disagree on. I could almost sit and watch everything. Like she's not a huge fan of Shark Week and like... I was like, what? And she, you know, like she said, even watching them on TV creeps her out. I find sharks fascinating. I think reptiles, alligators are fascinating. I don't know. I sometimes just can't get enough. Of it. And even though like Chloe and I were watching, we were watching Shark Week and we were like, I feel like it's the same show in the same footage and they just like give it a hundred different names. But anyway, so we were looking for something new and I came across uh, D.B. Cooper, Where Are You on Netflix. Um, and you guys know I love true crime, um, a good true crime story. And I'm usually, you know, I'm usually not a big fan of the unresolved ones. But the D.B. Cooper story has always fascinated me. So I'm going to go into, um, I guess for those of you who don't know, D.B. Cooper hijacked a Northwest Orient Airlines flight, uh, 305. It was flight 305 on November 24th, 1971. Uh, the plane had left Portland, Oregon, was headed to Seattle. It was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which, you know, 
now is known as like the busiest travel day of the year. Uh, the Boeing, the Boeing seven twenty seven. It was about a third full for the short thirty minute flight to Seattle. I think there was thirty two, thirty five people on there. I don't believe that's counting the crew. I think that's just passengers. Uh, so, anyways, a few moments after takeoff, Cooper, dressed in a black suit with sunglasses on, holding a briefcase, passed a note to flight attendant Florence Schaffner. Uh, Schaffner, assuming it was a flirty attempt to hit on her, didn't open the note at first, which. At first, I was kind of like, okay, that's odd. But, um, you know, on the in the documentary, apparently it was, like, totally common for flight attendants to be sexually harassed and, you know, harassed by male passengers seeking their companionship back in the 70s and maybe into the 80s, I don't know. And they, they do a whole discussion on this uh, in the documentary as well, not to go off on a separate tangent. But that was kind of something I was like, really? Um the exact words on the note are unknown because at some point Cooper eventually took the note back from Schaffner, but um, Schaffner said she'd recalled that it, it said he had a bomb in his briefcase, and he, inst- you know, the note instructed her to sit beside him. Um, after she sat next to him, he opened the case and showed her what she described as some red cylinders uh, with wires looking like dynamite attached to a battery. After showing her the bomb in the briefcase Cooper made his demands he wanted $200,000 in negotiable American currency, four parachutes and a fuel tank waiting on the ground in Seattle Um, so the plane you know it it takes a while circling in Seattle or whatever the uh, 35 passengers aboard were all released when the plane landed in Seattle none of them even knowing um, that the hijacking was going on until they were greeted with like this mass media presence and uh, police and FBI at the airport. Uh, they had wondered, you know, maybe something was going on because the, the plane had spent more time circling the airport in Seattle than the duration of the flight as the authorities uh, in Northwest scrambled to meet Cooper's demands. Um, while refueling, a flight attendant was sent out onto the runway to grab the money and the parachutes. It is believed that Cooper asked for four parachutes to keep the authorities from giving him a dummy chute and making them think he might possibly be taking crew members with him if he did in fact leap from the plane. Um, previously to the plane landing, Cooper had had the crew close all the shades on the plane to prevent snipers from getting a shot at him or even a visual on him while the plane was on the ground. The uh, plane would then make an itinerary to depart for Mexico City, I, b- I believe it was. Um, he instructed the pilot to take off with the rear exit door open and its air stair deployed, which is like off the back of the f- plane and obviously is very uncommon. Um, he told them not to exceed 10,000 feet and to maintain a minimum airspeed that the plane would fly at, uh, ordered that the wing flaps be at 15 degrees and that the landing gear stay in a landing position it was about i believe 7 40 pacific time when the plane took off um, around 8 13 p.m pilots got a warning on an air pressure change and what's referred to as an aft door being opened on the back of the plane um, and it is believed that this is where cooper made his leap into the cold wet night um, at some point they realized okay they don't think he's on the plane anymore. Uh, they've kind of done their check. 
So they take the risk, and around 10.30, 11 o'clock, the plane actually lands in Reno, Tahoe. Um, the captain, um, Captain Scott, walked the plane. He actually confirmed Cooper was no longer aboard. He had left. Um, he actually took two of the parachutes. Uh, he left two of the chutes with the lines cut, and his black clip-on tie was left in the uh, rear hatchway area. Flight staff were questioned, as well as met passengers. Uh, a sketch was made of Cooper. He was said to be in his 40s, black hair, medium build. Um, the flight attendant Schaffner said he was very polite. He was very calm. He was never threatening or rude. Uh, he'd ordered a glass of bourbon and reportedly smoked about 15 cigarettes while on the plane, which is crazy. Like, think about that now. Imagine smoking on a plane. The fact that that was ever legal is fucking mind-blowing to me. I remember as a kid being on planes and, like, the armrests had ashtrays in them. And I, don't, I think you weren't even allowed to do it, you know, when I was young enough to travel. But, like, just that whole concept and, you know, how, I don't know what smoking used to be and, like, you know, how it took so long to realize how terrible it was for people and just whatever. But uh, <sighs> Cooper had always... She had said Cooper had always spoke softly, calmly, um, and even said, he'd even said he had no grudge with the airline, but that he did have a grudge. Um, you know, the FBI had this broad investigation to start. Uh, they looked at past airline employees. Uh, they had a list of possible suspects, all of whom were, who were eventually cleared. Um, you know, and no one is actually sure where Cooper actually jumped. Or even where he landed, uh, if he survived the landing. Um, the physical evidence he left on the plane being the cigarettes. They actually ended up being destroyed by a crime lab accidentally, and I believe it was in Las Vegas. Um, so they, could, they couldn't be tested with current DNA technology, which is kind of crazy. If you watch the documentary and you see all the unfortunate things that happened that probably, you know will prevent this from ever being solved. Um, it, it's kind of crazy. Um, February 10th of 1980, so some nine years later, on the shores of the Columbia River, um, which I believe is in Oregon or Washington State. I apologize. I left that detail out. Um, Eight-year-old Brian Ingram, on vacation with his family, is digging in the sand along the shore of the river, and uncovers three packets of the ransom cash totaling $5,800. Um, the way the cash, when the cash was investigated, it was not believed that it had been there super long, um, that it had been submerged in water. Um, it was kind of an odd find. Um, I, I want to give you more details, but you really should watch the documentary about it. There's a really cool part about this money and the family that found it. Um, and I, I kind of don't want to spoil that for you because it's kind of like a head-scratching thing. Um, a really cool thing that I actually learned in this documentary was that the hijacker's name on the ticket was actually Dan Cooper. A reporter you know, trying to um, eavesdrop on the authorities investigating everything, mistakenly relayed info to his 
newspaper or TV station that the police had said D.B. Cooper was the name. And then I think D.B. was more catchy than Dan. And that's everyone knowing, everyone investigating, all that knew that was not the name, but that's what they went with. Um, you know, and even in the documentary, there's this cool, interesting theory that the hijacker had taken the name Dan Cooper from a French-Canadian comic book about, it was, I believe it was called The Adventures of Dan Cooper, about a pilot who performed rescues all over Canada and saved a hijacking even once. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the FBI had even sought to get help from the Royal Canadian Air Force to explore this theory, though nothing ever came of it. Uh, I think a lot of it was because there wasn't a lot of cooperation between the U.S. and Canada at the time in the uh, 70s, which I, I guess I didn't know there were issues there. Um, but if you're into mysteries, check this out. Like I said, it's called Where Are You, D.B. Cooper on Netflix. Um, you know, and we, we got to watching this because we were actually, I keep seeing TikToks about another Netflix show and, and I don't believe it exists it's called The Vanishing it's about some girl who goes missing at an amusement park yet I cannot find it on Netflix can't find it on Amazon couldn't find it on Hulu couldn't find it on I literally searched it um, so I, I don't know has anyone seen this uh, you know is it maybe called something else because it actually looked interesting you know part of me thinks maybe it's this big rib and I'm just not in on it but um, anyways if you know anything about it, holler at me. I'd like to check that out. Actually, the other thing I started watching, um, The Boys on uh, Prime this week too. Um, I, I got I just got through season one. I'd heard a lot about it and seen the commercials for it all the time. You know, I think it's been out for I don't know a handful of years, and I figured, eh, why not? Uh, it's kind of centered around corporate superheroes, and um, they're all they're all kind of shady and dirtbags. Uh, and it's it's pretty fucked up, but um, so far I like it. Uh, maybe check that out, or if you're looking for something to binge. Um, so I, I assume everyone knows, and I honestly haven't looked at any news or anything today. Uh, Creepy Joe got COVID this week. Um, you know, the first positive thing in his presidency. Um, can you honestly imagine how crushed this fucker will be if he loses his sense of smell? Like, no more sniffing, right? Like, is he just going to pretend to sniff kids, or whatever you know and I sit here and I scratch my head because I'm like so this guy has however many boosters the Provax clowns are up to and he, he still got COVID um, you know he was just all over the Middle East begging for oil meeting with world leaders uh, 24 hours previous to his diagnosis he was at uh, I don't know a rally or some kind of event where he's shaking hands and probably sniffing people um you know, maybe the, the sniffing might have been why he actually got tested. He was like, hey, I, is nobody using shampoo anymore? I don't smell anything. And they were like, what? You know, you know. and then so, like, when I first heard this, there was a part him getting COVID, not the sniffing. Um, there's a part of me that thinks, is this how they get rid of him? You know, even though I, I believe they've only reported he had mild symptoms and barely a fever. But we all know they can change the, the reports to whatever they want. Um, you know, and through some interactions on social media, I think a lot of you share my opinion uh, that this could be the end of Sleepy Creepy Joe. But then you got to ask yourself, you know, do you, do we really want Kamala Harris? You know, imagine her being the woman who becomes the first female, female president. 
Talk about a gut punch to all the amazing accomplished women throughout history. She might be the, but good thing for Joe is she might be the only person in the world who could make him not look like a complete fool. And, you know, there's no way they're going to run her in 2024. Um, I've been, you know, through what I read and stuff, I keep hearing Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, being like the Dems guy. And I'm like, the guy's people are fleeing his state like people fleeing Mexico. Like, can you imagine that? Like, he's a tool. You know, he's Pelosi's nephew, so that part makes sense because, you know, we all know there's this secret system on who gets picked for whatever, and it's all rig. But, like, I can't fathom anyone picking the this guy to lead anything. He can't keep people from shitting in the streets in his own state or do anything about the massive amount of homelessness and crime. But, yeah, let's push this guy. This is our guy. You know, I mean, I guess if they'll tie their, their wagon to Joe, anything's possible, but, like... The whole thing's fucking laughable. It doesn't seem real. You know, I, I I see that and I'm like, what the fuck? You know, and I'm like, and there's people that are like, oh yeah, he'd be Trump, blah, blah. You know, like I said before, I, I hope Trump doesn't run. I, I, I like Trump. I thought he did well. Um, you know, I think he stands more to gain by not running and keep influence and if he runs and possibly loses he's done um wow we're going pretty long um so <clears throat> in other news uh, it's no secret i'm a huge wrestling fan um like seriously wrestling has professional wrestling has been a part of my life as long as i can remember um honestly so long i'm not even sure how my love for it origin originated. So yesterday, the future landscape of professional wrestling was was changed as seventy seven year old Vince McMahon officially retired as chairman and CEO of the WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, his re replacements would be co CEOs, his daughter Stephanie McMahon, and uh, the man who was vice president of operations, Nick Khan. Uh, Personally, I think this ultimately means Steph is in charge. Uh, Vince remains the majority shareholder of WWE. And uh, Steph's husband, uh, former wrestler, Hall of Famer, Triple H, will be in charge of talent and creative, which to me as a fan is the best news of all time. Um, you know, Vince retirement obviously comes um, on the news leak of the payouts he made to, I believe it was two to three female employees, in uh, upwards of $12 million. It became public about a month ago. Um, these payouts were made at pretty much as hush money stemming from uh, sexual harassment or inappropriate conduct allegations uh, by McMahon, uh, as well as former head of creative and talent, John Laurinaitis, who was fired on Friday, uh, who also just happens to be uh, the Bella Twins' stepdad. Um, there's no details on who the payouts were made to, and, and honestly, you know, details on what actually transpired. I'm sure, like anything, all in good time, it'll come out because that's what always happens. But I'm guessing for that amount of money, they had to be substantial. That's just my opinion. I think the irony of it uh, is, for those of you wrestling fans who listen to the show, that Vince McMahon paid more for sex than he did for WCW when he bought WCW back in, I don't know, what, 2001? Um, all that being said, uh, 
I'm not condoning any of the actions of by Vince or John Laurinaitis, um, but the wrestling fan side of me would personally like to thank Vince for the, I don't know, thousands, hundred thousands of hours of entertainment and the effort he put into entertaining myself and so many people around the world for the past 50 years. You know, good, bad, and different, like him or hate him, Vince revolutionized sports entertainment. He made it cool. He made it mainstream. Uh, he changed so much in pop culture. You know, he may never really get the credit for it because of the image, you know, maybe he people have created for him as a person. But, you know, it's been said that nearly everyone who worked for Vince, um, while acknowledging he's a hard ass, they love him. Um, he has always helped former talent that was down on their luck or had substance abuse problems paying for rehab or whatever help they needed as many times as it took. So this goes from everyone from Jake Roberts, Jeff Hardy, Dean Ambrose, slash John Moxley, uh, Road Warrior Hawk, Shawn Michaels, Scott Hall. The list goes on and on. Um, you know, former talents, current talents, whatever. You know, in their worst moments, Vince never turned his back on them. Um, so for all his contributions and for all the great memories I personally have, I would like to say thank you, Vince. Uh, you know, from that kid on Saturday night in his room playing with his wrestling figures, the kid making belts and having matches with his cousins, to the man that's actually sitting here today doing this in his man cave with thousands of figures just slightly behind me. Uh, my life wouldn't be the same without what you gave the world and the entertainment you provided to me and your company will still provide over the years. So enjoy retirement. You know, it's unfortunate things happen the way they did and, you know, all things catch up with you. That's just the way the world works. But, um, that's all I got tonight, folks. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Like I said, I apologize for last week. Uh, the episode, the content in the episode will still be relevant. Uh, it wasn't as much tied to current events, so it's just something I could bump down the line, especially as we get closer to being uh, starting year three of the podcast, which is fucking crazy to think that we'll be starting year three of this, and you guys are all still listening, more and more people listening every day. So uh, have a safe, uh, beautiful, glorious weekend, and I will see you pretty bastards next week. Peace.